What's up, everybody? This is Low Hanging Fruit. I'm Charlie Marlowe in not-so-sunny St. Louis. That's Brendan Schaefer in beautiful Jupiter, Florida, with our spring training report. Brendan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, the weather's been pretty good. Rained too much Sunday, but otherwise, we're happy with the sunshine and so far, no sunburn. I've been pretty diligent about the SPF 50, so we're doing good. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, no sunburn. You do kind of look Caspery. Oh, yeah. In terms of uh, Casper, you are a friendly ghost. If you're a ghost, you're definitely friendly. Uh, you look fine, but yeah, sometimes with the lighting, uh, you're really glowing and shining today. Yeah, I feel like I'm in a bunker a little bit, but um, you know what? My setup down here has been for my radio show. I'm very comfortable doing that, but now I had to go on camera with you, and yeah, it looks a little like I'm in a closet because I am. But uh, everything's good. Hopefully, people will get over that, and we can get to some baseball talk. Brennan Schaefer in the closet. Okay, no jokes there. Hey, hey, hey. Those no well jokes. Played. Okay, no, well played. Thank you, thank you. I'll, All I'll right. give you. I'll give you thank that. Thank you. One. Okay. All right. Let's let's get to the baseball. If you like Brendan Schaefer, you're gonna love this show <laughs> because oh, it's gonna boy. be a lot of Brendan because he's there. I'm not. To be fair, I've been locked into the Daytona 500 weekend for the last four or five days. Oh, so you were Brendan, at Daytona. That's awesome, man. No, I wasn't there. I oh, was locked into okay. Got to it. content oh. creation. Okay, so I'll just throw it to you like this. First of all, give me your number one takeaway. Now, we'll do a bunch. Number one takeaway for Brendan Schaefer so far, Cardinal Spring Training 2024. Number one so far, and keep in mind we haven't seen games We've seen a few live BPs where the batters are actually trying to get hits off the pitchers, but we haven't seen a ton yet, right? My number one takeaway, though, it's pretty easy. I think the Cardinals got it right with Sonny Gray. You know, I think a lot of people sort of, we've talked about how we expected that to be the quote-unquote big move if they were going to have a big move. It felt very Cardinals-y. And in some ways, I don't know if we were demeaning the move as a result of it feeling like an obvious move, but because it felt obvious, I think some fans were like, underwhelmed like okay what's what's the cool thing they're gonna do that'll surprise us and I get that because you know it's a 34 year old pitcher it's not a long contract it wasn't Yamamoto so people were maybe even if they were like okay that's a nice move I don't know if people fully appreciated the move for what it was seeing Sonny Gray though down here in action he takes command of literally every situation that he's in and it impresses you especially when you consider that he's new to the team new to the environment that's been my number one takeaway is like, oh, okay, I see what the Cardinals were seeing with this guy when they decided to sign him to a three-year contract. Um, I think he's going to, he reshapes the feel of the team just by his very presence, which I think is a is a high compliment. Now, I know that the games and the results are going to be what matters most, but if this offseason the Cardinals were talking about, hey, we maybe need some leadership shakeup, I think by getting Sonny Gray, it's happening naturally because uh, this guy goes out and, and takes control in every situation that he's in in a way that I don't think younger players are turned off by it either. I think that's important too. I asked Zach Thompson about Sonny Gray and he said, none of it's for show, but it, it also doesn't feel demeaning as a younger player. Like you can tell that this guy's head and heart's in the right place. He just wants the team to be better. And so I think people that hear Sonny Gray and, and interact with him are also taking it in the right way. He's, he's just the kind of guy you want to have on your team. And, uh, so Jeff Jones down there with you, he's getting me some content. And I posted this video of Sonny Gray doing a bullpen. It was like 40 seconds. Right. And the first 15 seconds, and everybody, you know, did a story on this, but him just kind of throwing his bullpen, calling out something, whatever he said, you know, two, two count attack in blah, blah, blah. He's talking to himself. And I think it's going to get like 
already 10,000 views. And I say that just because it shows that Cardinal fans, first of all, are just, they just want baseball content, which is beautiful. It's the reason we love the St. Louis Cardinals and we love covering that team and all that. But then as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, you know, I've been down in spring training probably five times or whatever, and I don't remember ever seeing anybody else do that. Am, am I wrong on that? I don't think you're wrong on it. It was unlike any bullpen that I've ever seen. I think I've been coming for six years now. And like, oh, you had people to beat me, do huh? simulate. Well, I, you know, you, you stopped showing <laughs> up. I can't help you there. I can't help I you with that. I, that, I think that when you have these pitchers, and they're trying to work on things, they're going to simulate at-bats. You'll hear a guy go, hey, this is going to be, I'm pretending I'm throwing to a lefty. He'll say lefty, backdoor slider, like Kyle Gibson had something to that effect. But Sonny Gray, I think, takes it to another level where every single pitch is like that and the the detail. And if the catcher didn't hear him, he's going to make sure the catcher understood before proceeding. I mean, it's just very detail-oriented, very intense um, I, I asked Sonny Gray, I said, probably not too difficult for you to get into a game-like environment. And he just said, I, I like competing. I like playing baseball. I like competing. And so for him, every instance, he's able to sort of sink into that mindset, even if it's not a real game, even if there's not a batter in the box, he'll just pretend there's one. Like, yeah, it, it's unique. And the volume of it is unique. And I, I made the joke that it's kind of like me announcing to everybody the score when you're playing pickup basketball. At one point, he said 1-1. One, one. One, one, he said one, one count like four times before proceeding to the next pitch. I don't know if he's doing that just for his benefit, make sure everybody around him knows it's just who he is though. It's not like a phony thing that, oh, it looks good. So I'm going to impress a new group of people. Like I think it naturally is just how he is when he's competing out there on the mound. Or could he just have Tourette's syndrome? You know, I think he's a very excitable guy and he gets after it. And that's just his, that's his personality. Honest to goodness. No, I love it. Okay. Talking about the leadership, which you mentioned with Sonny Gray. And oh, by the way, real quick, I think it's funny. You said that we we spoke, and I say we like media. We almost did speak in a demeaning way. I, I don't think we really meant it at all, but we just all knew the Cardinals were going to sign Sonny Gray. It was almost just you 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 knew they weren't going to get the two hundred million dollar guy, and you knew Sonny Gray fit perfectly for them. So it isn't demeaning. It's just we all knew it was going to happen. And I think sometimes, too, with Sonny Gray, like we forget he was second in the Cy Young. We have right. this conversation like, is he an ace? I mean, is he an ace? And I, I understand that conversation because we think about it more like, is he starting game one of a playoff series? I mean, it's hard not to be an ace, though, if you literally finish second in the freaking Cy Young voting. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the probably top four or five pitchers in MLB last year. Now, granted, do you also feel a little bit of a, of a stomach churn when you see your team pay for a guy off of his career year and he's now kind of going in toward his mid-30s? I think that was part of it, too. But the, the Cardinals are in a spot where, you know, committing to a, a five, seven, eight-year contract for a pitcher and upwards of $100, 200000000 million, well, they've never really been too keen on that. They've tried it once with David Price is really the, the only example, and that – Get, you know, the Red Sox swooped in and it didn't end up happening. So, yeah, there was a lot of reasons that Sonny Gray kind of checked the boxes of, okay, this is what makes sense. It's very Cardinalsy. But I think to give the team credit, like you see him out there, it makes a lot of sense from where they felt like they were in the clubhouse to say, this guy can take command for our team. I don't even know if they knew until they got their eyes on him in camp necessarily just how 
Sonny Gray this all would be. Like, they had meetings with him and stuff before, obviously, to sign him. But seeing him on the diamond, I think, has been a different experience for everybody. Okay, so the leadership piece that you mentioned with Sonny Gray, I wanted to get into this with you about both Goldie and Arenado. And before we pressed record, you were saying you were in both those scrums and you asked some of these questions. So, you know, I don't have the direct quote or the direct quotes, but Arenado said something about how the young guys, there were so many of them last year, they almost kind of overran the clubhouse. Now, I don't know if he even meant that in a negative way, so I'll, I'll throw this to you. But then also Goldie, I believe this was your question, said he really advocated for Matt Carpenter. So I'll throw that to you there. Yeah. So with Arenado, it was interesting because you could almost tell as soon as he said it, even before he said what he was about to say, he said, I don't mean this in a bad way, but he kind of knew how it was going to sound. And, and some people did take it that way. And it's interesting because like, when you think about last year's team, did they have a lot of younger players? Sure. Are the young guys the reason they went 71 and 91? No. I mean, it's really kind of, it would be irresponsible, I think, to to pin that on that group of players. But I also don't think that's what Arenado was doing. He might have been just trying to describe a dynamic within the room that because we don't all get a chance to see it every day, we we might not fully incorporate into our brains like what that actually means. So I would cut Nolan some slack on that quote. I know that got some play, but and understandably so. But I think it boiled down to, you know, they got off to such a slow start last year. We've talked about how they were chasing that record the entire year and ultimately weren't able to find it back. And I would think if you have adverse situations like that, you're facing adversity, it could benefit you to have guys who have been through the wars before. And maybe more of those type of guys would have allowed them to kind of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and make something of the season, whereas they weren't able to. Um, some of the guys that we've given examples that were around, like Adam Wainwright, were in no condition to be that vocal leader or or kind of uh, direct guys around because he was having the worst season of his career. So I think just a, a way to sort of reorganize the clubhouse was probably to the betterment of the team. And they felt that on the position player side, on the bench side, they maybe needed something like that because they've done it in the rotation. I think Kyle Gibson, Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn are going to be exactly what they need in that regard. But maybe they didn't make those changes on the position player side and you thought it would be helpful. But I thought it was interesting. Paul Goldschmidt basically said, no, that was me. Like, I'll be honest, he said, I pushed for Carpenter when he became a free agent. And if you recall, the Braves acquired him from the Padres in a trade. And then like the next day, cut him. It was basically a salary dump for San Diego. And the Braves said, we don't really need him. We're just going to pay him to incorporate getting a better prospect or whoever they got in the deal. So I almost it sounds like almost immediately Goldschmidt was in, in communication with whoever with the Cardinals to say, yeah, I think this is a guy that would we would benefit from having in the room. And he said it's not just the young guys either that can glean things from Matt Carpenter and take from his wealth of experience. He said, I will be leaning on Matt Carpenter. And some of what he said was kind of like, all right, you're kind of describing what a coach could do. So is this a guy that really needed to be on the roster? But I think because it was something that the Cardinals didn't have the year they wanted to, and you've got a veteran respected voice standing up and saying, I think this can help us. If you're John Mozeliak and you're talking about the last guy on the bench, they, they rostered Taylor Motter for like a whole season. I think that Matt Carpenter, which is no offense to Motter, but like Matt Carpenter can maybe bring a different dynamic. I know. I know it's, I hope, you know, if Taylor's watching this, I think he was great last year. He was awesome. But I think Matt Carpenter can bring a dynamic for the team. Having been a Cardinal before, having won with the Cardinals before, he he commands a lot of respect in the clubhouse. And 
if Paul Goldschmidt thought it was something that can help him, I think Mo basically sat there and thought, what can it hurt if this is something I'm hearing from some of our respected guys that we need? All right. I ask this as a 50% joke, and I just thought of it as you're talking because I remember now when the Matt Carpenter signing happened, you were out there publicly liking it, and you took a little bit of flack. And when I say a little bit, that means like two people on X we're like, what are you talking about? So now I'm wondering, because we all do this. Twitter. What are you doing? Twitter, X, whatever the hell it's called. Good but grief. we all do this. If we have a take, we then feel the need to defend it. So I'm wondering, with Matt Carpenter, are you dug into the point where now you are going to defend it no matter what? Now, again, did I ever <laughs> say Matt Carpenter is going to be an all-star for the Cardinals? I said I liked that they signed him because, A, it was kind of chaotic, and I'm not a Cardinal fan. I'm a I'm a writer that covers the team and I like Matt Carpenter being around. I can ask him about turnpike troubadours and country music again. Like, you know, I'm glad he's back. I think it's lovely. Do I think he's going to go out and be a difference maker on the field? I'm not convinced of that at this point, but the, you know, the wheels are being greased by the Cardinals to say, Hey, even if his numbers aren't that great, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, this didn't work out in the way that we intended. Uh, Goldsmith even said, sometimes a veteran guy will say something that can help you get a hit or help you make a play in the field. And he said, maybe that'll show up in my stat column, but really those guys deserve the credit. So like, is that Goldie being real deferential and tr- trying to make it sound like, Hey, Carpier is a good idea, you know, take it for whatever it's worth. But that's what he said. And He's a guy that's been around the game a long time. He said, look, in Arizona, when I was a young guy, we had a, a group of good veterans that would say something and that would prevent me from making a mistake that I might have otherwise made in the field or at, at the plate and or maybe taking too long to adjust to a, to a certain element of the game. So, like, I, I thought it was interesting. People say, you know what, if Carp's not hitting by mid-May, he's just going to be cut, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I don't believe that's the case. I would be surprised if he ends up getting cut during the season Almost regardless of what his performance is, he, he's not going to really play the field either. And Ali was asked this morning, like, what does it look like positionally? Can he play third base, outfield? Like, what? And Ali said, you know, DH, first base, he'll take some reps at third, depending on our health, which sort of says to me, like, if Donovan's out, then maybe you see Carpenter have to play some third at some point, but it's not what they're angling to do. He's there to be a, the, the last guy on the bench that takes a, a lefty at bat off the bench against a righty that he can maybe. Uh, you know, analytically have an advantage over. I think that's the extent of the role, at least when the team is healthy. Sounds like a hell of a nice uh, gig for Matt Carpenter. Show up, awesome. take a few hacks. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay. I'm a skilled interviewer, 20 years in the business. That's right. So I'm going to ask you a good question. I started the show with what's your number one storyline? So Brendan, what's your number two storyline of Cardinal spring training? Well, I'm being serious. So when you say number two, like we're talking about the crappy one now, is that, or was that not the joke you were trying to make? No, that actually, the uh, joke was at the beginning. I'm, I'm oh. honestly asking you, you said Sonny Gray was your yes. number one Cardinal storyline. Okay. Instead of saying number two, what, what's your second Cardinals big storyline of camp? Okay, good. Cause now it's not a poop joke. You, you rephrased it really effectively. I really didn't mean it to, to come across that way, but it okay. happens. I, I mean, I'm just trying to needle you a little bit. I spent too much time down here with the cat and him and I have gone round and round. So you know what that's like already. All right. So my exhausting, number, exhausting. I'm not going to your word, not mine. My number two storyline, and it's not a crappy one. I think it's actually kind of relevant. Who's going to be the sixth starter? 
And you might go, well, why does that really matter? Because ideally they've got their five. And that's certainly how Mo views it. You know, when you ask, when you ask Mo or Ollie about pitching depth, they're like, we like the five that we have. Like they have upgraded the five and they want all those guys to make 30 plus stars. Is that going to happen? History tells you probably not. So it's relevant to, to wonder, well, who's next? And we're going to get our first glimpse at potentially finding this out on Saturday because the first day of game action in Grapefruit League is a split squad. They're going to have two games, and one of them will be started by uh, Matthew Libertor. The other will be started by Zach Thompson. And they have been sort of paired together as the spring has gone along in terms of their scheduling. And we're going to get a look at what those guys do. But what's interesting about that, Charlie, is like, let's say one pitch is better than the other. Does that guy win the competition to be the sixth starter and therefore in triple a, or does that guy win the competition to be a lefty reliever out of the bullpen to go with Jojo Romero and, and maybe like a, a Palante or Keenan Middleton, who's a righty, but gets lefties out with reverse splits. Like do, do you have the potential for one of these guys to win a competition, but actually have that be something that complicates what his season could look like? I know the Cardinals are talking about that first stretch of games L.A. to San Diego, they don't have off days, and maybe they go with a six-man rotation. I think they're reserving the possibility of doing that just in case nobody gets hurt in their rotation. But if somebody does get injured, which happens every spring, you know, then then you probably have a, a significant question of, like, is Libby or Zach Thompson ready to step into the rotation and be a factor from day one? Because that, to me, that's an interesting competition, um, but it's not very black and white. You could win the competition and maybe be in AAA at some point uh, because they want to reserve you given what you showed with your ability to start and go deeper into games. As you say that, now, in my head, I want to see Matthew Libertor as a reliever. Now, maybe maybe it's too early to just peg him as a reliever right now, but as you described that, I'm just thinking, let's say Zach Thompson pitches so well that he becomes the sixth starter which you think is a good thing. Right. And then that relegates him to AAA after you yo-yoed him last year. I think at that point, you almost lose the guy mentally. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. That's why I think it's an interesting concept and something that, like, I talked to Zach a little bit, but understandably, he's not ready to touch, like, what role am I going to have? Those kind of questions. It's It was too early, and he he didn't have any interest in really going into it because he doesn't care. He wants to make the team. Right. I think if you ask Libby or Thompson, they'd both say, yeah, put me in the major league bullpen if I pitch well enough to earn that opportunity. But the team might need something different out of them. And that that's where like a decision making process is going to come in. But we could have a few days from now we could go. Yeah, you know what? Steven Matz isn't really ready to face live hitters and he's going to. And then next thing you know, or Lance Lynn, he's a little bit behind schedule. If if that ends up taking place then suddenly it's a battle for the opening day rotation and you really want to be that fifth starter. Like, I think that's a really interesting concept. And then you've got other guys like Drew Rom. He, he made some starts late last year, McGreevy, Graceffo. Those are guys that are competing in that sort of bucket to be rotation depth. But last year we thought guys like McGreevy and Graceffo were going to make an impact like Moselock in January, 2023 at winter warmup used those names and said, yeah, we think these guys can help us down the way and they never did get a debut last year, kind of stalling out a little bit in AAA. So, like, can those guys impress in spring to kind of get their prospect status um, back jump-started to where the Cardinals would feel comfortable going to them if they need to? Like, the depth of the rotation is interesting. That's my number two storyline because 
we know the top five is like guys that they went out and acquired and targeted and they feel good about. But how many years of Cardinal baseball have we seen five starters just make all the starts and everything's good? I think there was like like 2015, I think. I feel like that might have happened. But most years, you're talking about a lot of injuries that you have to navigate as it comes. 2015, just because you said that, can I guess? So 2015, would that have been? I'd have to look it up, but. Probably what, Wayno, Lynn, Waka? Maybe, well, but Waka never really made all his starts, did he? Didn't he have the one year he made the All-Star game? I think so. That sounds right. Okay, anyway, we don't have to look it up. I'll tell you what, somebody I'm who's watching. Now. I know, but somebody who's watching. So 2015. John Lackey, Waka. Michael Waka, Carlos Martinez, Lance Lynn. And I was going to say the other one, Jaime Garcia is the only one. He only made 20 starts, but he was like really good. And they just, they like pitched above their heads the whole year that year with that group. Those guys making like a combined 140 starts out of 162. And th like, that's a rarity that it happened that way. But maybe that's like kind of what they're hoping happens this year where they say, look at the guys that we have. We're hoping that these guys just all pitch 30 times and stay pretty durable. It's a, it's a knock on wood kind of thing when they didn't go out and add much to their depth. But I think they're also daring the depth guys to go. If I want to advance my career, there's an opportunity to do so. And I've got to, I've got to earn it this year. And Wayno was not up. Was he hurt that year? 2015? I, I, I want to say that was the Achilles year for Achilles. Wayno when he gotcha. tore it like real, real early. Yep. All right, cool. Or not cool. That wasn't fun. Not but cool when I say him, cool over it, you know, I meant cool as in we'll move on. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to ask you yet for your number three storyline. So <laughs> thank you. So Cause I have to come up with one. Well, you got, come on, you got to have at least like five or so, but this is now coming from me. If, if you asked me just so position player wise, okay. who needs a, who needs a big camp? I would say the two guys that right out of the gate come to mind are Mason Wynn and Dylan Carlson. So Mason Wynn had a good spring last year. He's going to get a shot, obviously. I think it's important for him to have some success in Grapefruit League. How about Dylan Carlson? And uh, did did he show up early? How does he look? I know, I know one of the knocks on him is that his body, from a physical standpoint, hasn't changed much from when he first came up in terms of adding muscle, becoming that you know guy who could maybe hit 20 to 25 home runs, which we haven't really seen yet. So when Carlson, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? Well, I'll start with Carlson. Um, he, he showed up on Monday, which was when he had to be here by, um, I haven't talked to him, so I don't know the circumstances of that. Don't, don't, I don't make eyes at me. Here's he's not early. He wasn't early. No, Can I just say, I just think it's funny. Oh, like I'm just saying like, there's guys that live on the West coast and we probably all read too much into Oh, this guy showed up early. He cares more. This guy showed up on report day. He doesn't care about the team. That's why I'm joking. You you understand too that early days of spring training, there's not even any games. We are writing yeah. these narratives, baby. Like it's all we I have. Know. So we have to find things to to talk about. And as long as I think we contextualize it with like this isn't games. It's it's fun to talk about these things, but what will matter is the games and the performance in the regular season. I think it's okay to to put it all in context. If you want to play that game, though, Paul Goldschmidt didn't show up until Monday either. So, you know, maybe he doesn't care about the team too, right? He's yeah, lazy. I, He's I'm, lazy. I'm, I'm thinking that's probably a mischaracterization. And you don't even mean that. I know we're just having fun here. But the reality for Carlson is, like, it'd be nice for him to have a good spring. But I think his role is basically dependent upon other people. Like, there are, and that's got to be a tough feeling for him. 
And, you know, yeah, if I get a chance to kind of ask him about that, I'd like to. But I also could understand Dylan going, what's my upside in talking right now about this? I just have to go out and do my best to try and earn my opportunity. Like to know you're the fourth outfielder and to see last year the way that Tyler O'Neill was given every opportunity on a silver platter to be the center fielder, a role that the prior year you displayed an incredible ability to do defensively after Harrison Bader was traded. Like for Carlson, I can understand if he's going, if he's feeling some sort of way, like, man, why, what do I got to do to kind of have that opportunity? I'm not saying that's how he felt. Like I said, I haven't talked to him, but I'm looking at the, the paper here going, if they're telling us Tommy Edmonds, their center fielder, you know, he can do math to know that Walker's going to be in right. Newt's going to be in left. So he's kind of going in as the fourth guy, but also that means a lot of opportunity because guess what Tommy Edmonds not doing right now, throwing or hitting a baseball. So he's still recovering from that wrist surgery and we don't know what that's going to look like. And until we see him doing some activity, Carlson's your center fielder to begin day one, unless they, they want to shake it up and, and put Newt back in center and, and maybe make Burleson be your left fielder defensively. I don't know if Burley Newt Walker is exactly what they're looking for from left to right. If they want to improve the consistency of that defense, I think they would really prefer Newt to stay and stick in left field. So if you're Carlson, that's your opportunity. It just has to feel a little bit unnerving to know that like, I could play really well and still maybe not be given the chance if Tommy comes around and is ready physically for the rigors of center field to begin the season. But it was a funny quote. I mean, not funny, but with within whenever it was said of, I think it was Mo that was asked about Edmund and like, what's his progression? It's like, he's doing baseball activities, except he can't throw and he can't hit yet. But like everything else is great. It was kind of like, okay, so we're going to have to wait and see on Tommy. They wanted to be the center fielder, but he's not going to be getting those reps. Uh, so I think for spring-wise, yeah, Carlson should probably see some opportunity, as will Victor Scott. I mean, that's a guy that's going to probably play a lot of center field in Grapefruit League so that they can get their eyes on him and see what that looks like. Mason Wynn is a shorter answer, 100%. He's got to have a good spring. Um, but I think even if he has an average spring, the way the roster is constructed, he's your everyday center fielder. The Cardinals are banking a ton on Mason Wynn being ready. Sure, and yeah, at shortstop. And I don't I don't know that it's it's unlikely that he's going to be like he is a dude and I think he's going to have a great career. But it's just interesting that your backup shortstop can't throw right now and is going to be your everyday center fielder. Your starting shortstop hit 150 last year when he played a little bit in September, which is fine because every time Mason Wynn hits a level, he takes a little bit of time to get acclimated and then he takes off like a rocket ship. But to not have any other backup plans to that, apart from like Jose Fermin, is interesting. That would be the one area that if they added like an infielder veteran bench kind of guy, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me too much. Um, especially if Tommy is, is delayed maybe more than they're hoping. That was part of my discussion about Matt Carpenter. I felt like the guy that made more sense for the roster was Daniel Descalzo, not the coach, but the player <laughs> version right. of Daniel Descalzo who could play backup shortstop. Now you, you kind of, you moved on, to win. I think what's interesting about Dylan Carlson is this. Now I'm not saying this is going to happen because I, I feel like, you know, Dylan Carlson's stock is, is going like this. It's, and it's been that way for like two or three years, right? But if he's good, you know, you talk about fourth outfielder, but to me, to use a Moselock term, there's a, there's a potential wide Delta there that could be fourth outfielder. I play twice a week. I play 60 games. But if he hits, he can play center field. If he's good, that can become 
fourth outfitter that plays four times a week. And all of a sudden you're playing 130 games. I mean, and it, it all comes down to him though. If he hits, I feel like, you know, with the outfield positions, with rest, with DH, DH. he, he still could play a lot, but he has to hit. Yeah, and I think part of that DH conversation is like, is Gorman just going to be that every day? Or are they, I'm talking once Donovan is like good to go and he, you want him in the field. So does that leave Gorman largely the DH? Do you want that or do you want him to continue refining his skills defensively? That's kind of an interesting conversation. And how much do they, like the best the Cardinals can be is if Jordan Walker is a league average defensive right fielder. But if he's not, are they going to, play the game of like we need him to keep getting reps so he gets there for the next decade or we got to win this year so sometimes he's going to dh so that we can maybe have our better defensive outfield in place which is going to involve carlson probably playing in a corner with tommy you know kind of stationed in center you're 100 right though if carlson has a good spring offensively which largely is going to be against right-handed pitchers. Like if he's going to continue to be a switch hitter, which is what we're seeing as of right now, he was facing Tink Kent's from the left, from the left side of the plate, which is totally fine. You know, in conversations that I've had, like the Cardinals still believe that there's more in there. Now this was last year. I don't know that this updated conversation is the same, but they believe there's more in there for him against right-handed pitching as a left-handed bat. But maybe this is kind of the year where if it doesn't go that way, they start to nudge and, and say, Hey, would you consider going not, a switch hitter. This isn't me reporting that someone's told me that it's just, I, it kind of feels like the natural progression potentially. Um, and, and so we'll have to wait and see, but if he can hit right-handed pitching, it changes the entire dynamic for Dylan. And I agree with you. There's opportunity there because defensively he can play different spots in that outfield. You mentioned a uh, good old tink hence. I think entering this year, the thought from most people would be okay. Tink hence. Maybe we see him as a September call up type guy this year right and then man you have you have a bunch of one-year deal starters he could compete next year potentially for a for a spot in the rotation is is that fair do you think that's still the plan potentially for good old tink i think that is a fair way to describe it and i'm i'm, I'm looking right now to see if i can find his numbers from last year because what i'm most interested in is making sure i have it down of like how much did he actually pitch he had 96 innings in 2023 between uh, high A and double A, his his numbers in double A are such that barring like a really great spring, I wouldn't be shocked to see him sent back to double A to begin the year. But if he takes the bull by the horns and looks good, they might decide to promote him to triple A. Um, part of that could depend on like how many of these depth starters ahead of him necessarily need to go down to triple A because they got to pitch somewhere. So that could play into it as well. Or some of those guys could be moved to relief pitcher. Like that could free up the opportunity for some of them to start at the minor league levels. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But for Tink, this kind of feels like the year of, all right, you threw 96 innings. We've we've taken you along really slowly, never due to like an injury, but just like abundance of caution was drafted at a high school, kind of a slight build and has put some muscle on, but they wanted to make sure they were careful with him. This has to be like the let it eat year, doesn't it? For Tink Hens, that's sort of how I look at it. Whether he's at double A or triple A, he needs to be getting deeper into games and demonstrating like if he's going to be a starter in the big leagues, this is probably the year that he needs to make that leap and throw, whether it's 120, 140, whatever innings to kind of get himself ready for that. But if he's pitching well in double A or triple A, he could come up sooner than September. It's going to depend on need. Um, another guy like Takoa Roby is another guy that I think watch him this spring, just like Tink Hens and those two could kind of be in, in conjunction with being that next wave of prospect where like if they're pitching well in the minors, 
you might want to have them leap over a Graceffo or a, or a McGreevy or a Drew Rahm or even Libby and Zach Thompson if they're pitching better than those guys, right? Like, I think the upside, the way we look at the arrows for Tink and uh, for, for Takoa Roby as well is, like, arrows have a chance to really be pointing up this year. Some of those guys ahead of them right now on the chart have to kind of force the issue in order to stay above them in terms of opportunity. You could see Roby or Tink Hens this summer. It wouldn't shock me if they pitch really, really well. Um, but I think you're right. It does kind of coincide with if life goes good for both of them, you have these one-year pitchers that, you know, if they're great, they could pick up the option. If not, maybe you do look to next year to sort of have those younger guys take, take an opportunity coming into spring. Let me give you a hot take, and maybe it's not even that hot. Yvonne Herrera. First of all, and I'll I'll start my long question. What are you seeing? What are you hearing on him? And here's my hot take. Let's say Yvonne Herrera is pretty dang good as a rookie here and he hits. Is it crazy to think if he hits that he catches half the games this year, Willie catches half and DH is about 50? Is that a crazy thought? No, it's not crazy. And I think we're seeing good things from him. He He ripped up the Caribbean series before he got to camp. Like that was competitive baseball that he was playing in, you know, in, in February and had like a 1100 OPS or whatever it ended up being. And every time I see him swinging a bat and again, it's batting practice for the most part, but he's ripping the ball and he just, he's carrying himself different than he did in past years. Like he kind of knows he belongs. He's been told like we all loved Andrew Kisner, but the move the team made to get to, to have to cut him has led to Herrera having the knowledge that like, he's going to be the guy. And the Cardinals have said he's going to catch like he's going to play. This isn't going to be like when Yachty was healthy and his backups didn't play. The, I, I think at minimum, if both Willie and Herrera are healthy, it would shock me if Herrera started fewer than 50 games. Like, I, I would be very surprised by that. It just feels like he's going to play a lot where it gets tricky. And it may not end up being a problem because whenever are you healthy the whole year as a team? But like if you're fully healthy, Gorman's got to go somewhere. Donovan's got to go somewhere. The, the DH feels like it's sort of Gorman's to lose on a daily basis. Does he play against lefties? Like that could end up being more of a platoon thing, but with Gorman's raw power, I know they would love for him to be able to be an everyday guy in the, in the batter's box. So that's going to kind of depend on like how many DH opportunities are there for Contreras. And they want to keep his bat in there too. So they can kind of play that game a little bit, but Charlie, those things tend to work themselves out. So I actually don't hate the take. I think it's certainly possible that we see a lot of Herrera in that he he's really good. Like, I, I think they thought, look, we could pay Andrew Kisner a little bit. We like Kisner, but also there was kind of the deal last year where the pitchers only wanted to throw to him, and that kind of, not Kiz's fault, but did that kind of maybe contribute to Wilson being, you know, run over by, by a truck going, like, what did I do here? Like, what's happening right now? Did that maybe sort of lead the Cardinals to say, let's not have that situation, and also we like the strides Herrera made we maybe didn't think he was going to be that guy, and that's why we signed Wilson in, in the first place because we didn't think we had the heir apparent. And now he's sort of taken the bull by the horns after a year where he was like kind of cast aside. They didn't really think of him as a prospect anymore. And he said, yes, I am, and has earned this opportunity. I really like the, the, the take. I think he plays a lot and, and could potentially be a really nice force offensively. Are you mentioned uh, watching people in the cage. Are the media, are you guys getting too close to the batting cage? Because I saw either an email or a text where Bartow, oh, you got the text. PR guy, I'm not there, but I'm getting the text. It sounds okay. like you media folks are getting too close to the cage for your little cell phone videos. Is that true? 
Now, I know some of some of that text was people were sitting on the benches that are on the interior, and we weren't supposed to do that either, which I don't think I usually was doing, but certainly there's been some some sitting going on out there. Um, as far as the batting cage, like, this is funny that you asked me about this because I was kind of thinking to myself, too, like, all right, never go on the grass. Like, that's always been kind of the, the unwritten rule. But if you're on that gravelly, you know, seashell, beachy, you know, it's the morning track that goes all the way around, typically that's okay. But maybe, like, don't be right behind the batting cage is maybe what they're saying. And I don't know. I, I felt like I always kept a good distance. But now I'm making sure to be, like, basically – parallel to the mound on either baseline and then just zoom in a little bit more. If you thought my videos were grainy before, just wait now they're going to be even more grainy now that I'm, I'm having to make sure I don't, I don't step on any toes, which I don't want to do. I'm glad to be here and you tell me where to go and I'll, I'll be able to comply with that. I'm not like Charlie who would probably complain and, you know, throw a fit about this or that. Well, you didn't, well, you kind of push him back on that notion with your, with your facial expression. No, I just, as you described the seashells, by the seashore. That's what it is. It reminded me. Yeah. No, but it reminded me of Field of Dreams that it's almost like the seashells are where Moonlight Graham, once he hits the seashells, he becomes an old man and then he has to go out to the cornfield and then he goes to heaven or whatever. That's a nice story, Charlie. I'm glad you I'm glad you invoked that story. You did see the movie, right? Yeah, but it's been a while. You know, he kind of floats up there. It's just like the deal with uh what was that, Fast and Furious where they kind of Float on up to heaven. That was yes, that was thing. a very sad story. I know you but guys you it, all. You made it not sad. You made it kind of comical. Um, I, still have that clip, I still have that clip saved somewhere in a folder. Because yeah, for it, people it, that don't, yeah, for people that don't get this reference, it was after Paul Walker passed away, and it was at the end of the movie. He and Vin Diesel were kind of almost like driving, and then Vin Diesel keeps going, and then Paul Walker goes up to heaven because he had passed away. So I was trying to make a sentimental moment, and you guys made a joke of it. I don't know what it was, but in, in the studio, it just felt like laughing was the appropriate... <laughs> I think it was Martin. I mean, if we really want to throw anybody under the bus, I think Martin yes. probably was the one on that one. Let's blame... Let's always blame Martin Kilcoin. I'm okay uh, with that's, it. That's a good default setting. Okay. So, you know... Look, we are going to try to do another podcast this week to make up for last week because people were so mad about missing the podcast last week. So, but before we, you know, we'll probably do that Friday. So, so Brennan, empty your notebook. I'm not going to ask you for the storyline number three. What did I not ask you about? What have you know. seen that's, that's interesting that you think, because look, you're not just taking me down to Florida. Everybody watching and listening right yeah. now, you're taking them down to sunny Florida. Paint a picture of what else we need to know. Man, it's uh, it's great for those who have never been. You should you should check it out. I mean, as a Cardinal fan, there's not a better access that you'll ever have to the players. Um, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. I wasn't watching them today because I was watching Lars Newbar see if he could hit another car with a home run. He hit one, but I didn't get it on video, and so then I was kind of locked in on that field. But yesterday, Walker and Wynn, man, it had to be ten to fifteen minutes of them signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. Like I was kind of struck and I'm still trying to maybe write about that if I can ask him about it, but kind of struck by just like how much those two for being 21 years old, they both get it. Cardinal fans are, you know, they already love those two, but like they're right to do so. And so seeing them perform this year, I, I think can help the team as well. You know, the, the bullpen's kind of interesting to, to, to see who some of those guys are going to be. I think Cardinals fans are going to like Keenan Middleton. They may not know a lot about him just yet, but he's another guy that like is just got a good, Got a good aura about him, good presence, and 
I don't know, just like with every guy they got, Kyle Gibson, you're seeing who they brought in, and I'm not disparaging guys that are gone. You can do that in your head if you want, but it's like, look who's coming in. Like, I think they're doing a nice job of the clubhouse stuff to get a group of guys that, you know, can 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 be on the same page and have the camaraderie that they're looking for. Are they good at baseball is what you're going to ask. We'll find out. But like, that's sort of, that's the vibe down here right now, Charlie. Okay, but wait, you're trying to see, you're trying to say clubhouse guys. I feel like from fans, they always blame everything on Jack Flaherty. So, so what were you getting at? No, I mean, it's, I don't think it's fair to just say, yeah, Jack Flaherty was a bad, like, that's not what it was, but like, I don't think they had every pitcher and catcher all on the same page last year. And they don't want to talk about last year. They're glad it's this year. But, you know, you can you can do whatever you want to think that there were whatever the reasons were that it just didn't work. Honestly, I think it's more complex than just pointing fingers at one thing. You could point at 10 and 19 and go, yeah, nobody's happy when you're losing. And so, you know, it, it it's harder to get through adversity. And they had a whole season of it. And they landed where they landed. I don't I don't think you necessarily like I don't want to fall into the trap that you're trying to lay where it's like, yeah, this this guy was the one. But it's like, you know, I I think it was hard on some people. It's hard on Wilson Contreras. The spot, I think he was put into a bad spot and he can be a leader on this team. But he was basically neutered three weeks into his Cardinals career and was probably feeling like a like he was in the car wash. Like, where am I? What's going on? And how did it get to this point? And to be a hard thing to play through. And you think about like how good he was with the media and how just exuberant he still was on the field last year when he would do things offensively and throwing out base runners. Like, I think that speaks a lot about Wilson Contreras and Cardinals fans. I feel like have kind of come around where they're like, yeah, I majority of people think Wilson kind of got a raw deal last year. I think Cardinals fans are even going to like him more this year with what they're going to see from him. So maybe I sound like the rah-rah pom-pom guy, but it, it just does feel like they're in a good spot. In three months, when they're 10 games below 500, I'll say, yeah, I told you when that they were going to suck. But but for right now, I can tell you, like, I think they're going to be okay. We'll see the way we'll see the way it plays out when games start. Yeah, and I was joking about Jack Flaherty just because I read so many comments sections. They just blamed everything on Jack Flaherty. And we also know there's a political slant to everything that's being and talked that about with dumb. Jack yeah, Flaherty. I mean, if if right. that's part of your thing, just stop it. But, you know, people are going to people. And just because you brought it up, I, I have been thinking about this. Now, maybe this is me being too dug in in my own Wilson Contreras take, but I was thinking about this the other day about last year. I think one one spot where you really can blame Ali and the coaching staff, I understand there was a lot of variables. Pitch clock, WBC, pitch com, Wilson Contreras' first camp, new pitching coach, all that. These are all excuses slash factors. And by the way, was Wilson Contreras thrown under the bus? Yes. Did Wilson Contreras also do something that was so egregious that they had to take him out of the catching role for eight days? Yes. So he's also, there's some blame to be put on Wilson. And it, but, but the reason I brought this up is I was thinking like, also did the coaching staff throughout the entire spring, I know some of these pitchers were gone at WBC, did they never see anything in the spring that would lead them to, to think that things were not on the on the same page, that it would blow up the way it did three or four weeks in. I, I feel like something like that doesn't just surface, whether it's communication, pitch calling. Again, I'm, I'm trying to also give them the benefit of the doubt, but I feel like the coaching staff also deserves some blame of, of not getting everybody properly prepared or on the same page because it clearly did blow up. 
not just not just the performances of the pitchers, but the communication, everything imploded three, four weeks in last year. Yeah. So I think about a couple of things with that. One, were they using pitch comp in spring? And I, I guess I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure they were tinkering with it, but like, I think wasn't a lot of what it ended up being. And Michael K had the report later on that came out. Like he was calling for pitches that that pitcher didn't throw using pitch comp. And that leads to miscommunications. Like that was some of the Wilson stuff, but you mentioned the coaching staff and this is going to be read the wrong way by people that just inherently think Dusty Blake is a bad coach, which I don't think is the case, but I also think he was inexperienced in the role last year. And so does a more experienced coach notice more, or is it just, you know, your, your head's underwater anyway, because, and this is not a Dusty Blake thing. This is like anybody starting a new job. You're like, I want to, I want to do a good job. I want to learn the ropes, but like inherently there are going to be some things that I don't know as well. And in 10 years, I'll know it better. You know, I think that it, it was a perfect storm to have the new catcher coming in in the same year that Mike Maddox leaves because maybe a veteran coach notices a little bit more of that. Like, I, I don't have a specific example. I think it's a good question that you ask, but I think when I answer it that way, people are going to go see Dusty Blake is terrible. When in reality, I think he was just newer and they, the entire coaching staff, like, Imagine having a bench coach that had a perfectly, you know, strong relationship with Ollie Marmel and he, he, he was handpicked, but they didn't have that either. It's not that Joe McEwing is a bad coach, but he didn't have those pre-existing relationships like a Matt Holiday would have to where your coaching staff is more cohesive. That just, it happened. There's nothing they could do about it. And they had to respond and go, who's a veteran bench coach we could bring in? Like, I think this year you have Daniel Descalzo. There's going to be a great working relationship there because there, there was a, a, significant pre-existing relationship. So like, I think all of those things sort of snowballed and led to what happened, but people online like to look at one thing and go, yep, see, that's proof of exactly what I thought was going on behind the scenes when it's always going to be more complicated than what we see on the surface. Confirmation bias. And by the way, in saying this, I don't know if Dusty Blake is a good pitching coach I think he's to be determined. I, I hope he is. I have no idea. I'm just saying this is not even a question. I just find it funny, speaking of comments, that there's a guy that always comments on my YouTube videos, our YouTube videos, and he always calls uh, Dusty Blake Rusty Rake. And I just find that funny. Well, that's pretty funny, I, right? Rusty I Rake. Hard, I, I mean, yeah, but it's demeaning. I have a hard time responding to those. I see him too. But I'm, not, on. I'm not ignoring you, but it's just like, you know, Anybody but can make not. a point out of somebody's name. I don't know. Okay, but hold on. By the way, I don't like when people get mean-spirited either. And look, there's a lot worse names people call. I didn't bring those up. There's swear words. People are saying all <laughs> kinds of things. I just think Rusty Rake is funny. Okay. I saw one that the person commented on one of mine today and said, oh, I don't like how close Rusty Rake is standing to that pitcher. And I'm going, come on, guys. He's a coach on the team. Just get cut him some slack, man. But I get it. People oh, I know. People can comment online. I'm not trying to be like the fun sucker. I just think it's kind of, you know, it is a little mean-spirited. That's all. I just think it's funny. Rusty Rake. I mean, it's just a play on his name. It's just funny. Well, just come on down to Jupiter and tell him that you think it's funny and, you know, own it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he would take that much offense to it. No, he's probably heard worse. You know, okay. like you said, people are mean. All right, well, look, I think I think we're over 45 minutes here. And we'll we do... We did it. We accomplished it. And we'll do another one. The plan is we'll do another one Friday. You'll have another, what's today, Tuesday. You'll have another three, three, four-ish days of uh, 
of you, you can really dig for stories and you'll right. have a brand new report and we'll get ready for the games. Uh, we'll do a we'll do a pregame show for the first Grapefruit League game versus is it what there's split squads, right? They're playing two games and I don't even know where I'll be. Like, do you think I should go watch Libby or Thompson? Which game should I go to Saturday? I assume. Well, I mean, time. but you got to see who else is kind of going, right? I mean, yeah, I so, mean, focus on yeah. the pitchers mostly, but you're right. I want to see who else is going, but there'll be other times to see some of those position players and focus on them. Like Victor Scott, I think it's going to be cool to see Mason. You're going to want to see, it'll be interesting. I hope they put the schedule out soon. So we can kind of know, you know, like Thursday, Friday, kind of know who's going where. Tell you what, let's let's discuss. I think Victor Scott. People are really excited about him too. Let's right, oh, this so. Friday. Let's dig into Victor Scott this Friday. And uh, hey, great information, Brendan. Thank you as always for taking us down there to beautiful Florida. And uh, everybody watching, thanks for watching, listening, comment, like, subscribe. Make sure you check out Brendan. Tell them everything, everywhere they can find you. You don't like calling Twitter X, apparently. No, no, no. Where where are you? Well, I'm at B Schaefer 12, basically everywhere. YouTube.com slash at B Schaefer 12 is really where, because Charlie steals these videos. He puts them on his channel. Sometimes he takes all the questions you guys asks and then makes a video himself that I don't get to be involved in. And so that kind of hurts my feelings. So you guys can help by, you know, Charlie has all these subscribers, thousands. of. I don't know what you guys watch on his channel, but on my channel, there's Cardinal stuff too. Uh, And I even like go to the games. I don't know, Charlie a little lazier, but, uh, you know, he, he puts out some good stuff too. Um, I don't know if lazy is the right word. <laughs> I would say more focused on no, NASCAR, no, no. but I do, I do want to go, if I can get a credential to opening day and all the playoff games. <laughs> How convenient. All the fun ones. You want to be there. Is that so bad? I mean, I, Hey, I was there for Tuesday 14 night years. in June, Tuesday night in June playing the, the pirates. You're like, yeah, I don't know. Look, I think they should credential you for those games first so that you work your way back up to getting to earn the other ones. That's my take. Oh, by the way, I would do that. And I don't even want to get into this, but this know, is also Major League Baseball needs to get with the times and well, realize well, that YouTube and podcast are are popular and make it easier for those folks if you have a following to get credentials and not just I'm not talking about you here, but if you work for the Daily Bugle in Cape Girardeau. I work for a TV station. I mean, what are we doing? What are we doing here? No, I'm not saying you. I'm saying baseball is obsessed with writers, and we're we're entering. We've already entered a new age of media. That's all I'm saying. A little bit of a tone of bitterness there, but it is kind of an MLB thing where that's just it's kind of hard. I mean, you don't know who's reputable. You might go in there and you know be a guy off the street that is going to ask some kind of unbecoming question and go viral for all the wrong reasons. You They don't know how you handle yourself. You know, I'm kidding. See, you've obviously, you. you've been around. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, but look at you. See, you right now are unable to admit that you're actually a YouTuber. You look at yourself as a writer still. No, that's not. And I am going to push back on that a little bit. Like I'm, I've written seven okay. stories in the last week. I'm, it's the reason I'm going to bed at midnight every night, but I like to do the YouTube stuff on the side as well. It's all good. No, no, you didn't yeah, hear what I said. Host, radio host as well. But you busy. didn't hear what I said. I said you're a writer. You're trying to be this distinguished writer that now you're above the YouTubers, which you technically are also a YouTuber. But I think you can do both. And and I of course maybe, you can. I think the reason maybe a lot of people don't do both is because it takes a lot of time. But you know, I'm I'm getting my writing done first and and then uh trying to give 
people some some sights and sounds. Like I posted just like, you know how you go out on the fields and you're just taking video of just whatever random stuff. I just smashed it all together yesterday and put it on my channel and said like, here's what's going on. If people, you know, want to want to feel like they, they can kind of get a glimpse of spring training. That's all. I'm just trying to, it's just content, but I'm writing. Like I, I write very actively as my main thing. So that's, that's my, that's my spiel to not have you kind of come after me like that, man, I can't believe it. I'm just, I'm just joking, man. But you know what? I am going to end this I promise. Okay. But what you said is true. And this is where we joke around about best fans in baseball and baseball heaven. But this is true, man. It's the reason 10,000 people are going to watch a video of Sonny Gray calling out pitches in a bullpen. Cardinals fans love baseball. They miss it. It's freaking snowing up here. We had a snow day on Friday to see sunshine in the video and the pictures to hear the crack of the bat. I know this sounds cliche, but to hear the mitts pop in, people love it. You know that people love yeah. it. They live for it. And it means baseball is close. It's a beautiful thing. We're sarcastic. Okay. But I'm being honest here. People love this stuff. You know that. No, they do. And and that's why they, even if it's like kind of feels like a mundane part of practice, you're like, well, why wouldn't I just kind of take a few seconds of it so people can see it if if that's something that they're going to get enjoyment out of. So yeah, that's on the side doing the YouTube. KMOV, they should they should go read my stories because I've been kind of busting it a little bit this uh this week. KMOV.com. See now, see now again, I can never end a show. Now I feel like you're this last five minutes is you trying to speak directly to KMOV to prove to them that you're really working on KMOV stuff and not YouTube stuff. No, I don't think they need any proof. I think they can look at look <laughs> at the stories and in the communication with them this week. No, they're they're telling me they're happy with everything the way it's going. So We'll just keep on that grind. We'll keep on it. It's all good. I know. I'm just messing with you, dude. All right, Brendan, great job, buddy. We'll do it again Friday. Comment, like, subscribe, this channel, Brendan's channel, all of his stuff on all of his social medias. He's doing a great job, as always. We keyed. We keyed. Thanks for watching. See you guys later.